You know, um, we're starting the Christmas season, and um, I usually, Christmas, as you know, has been my favorite season because it was when I was eight years old, it'll be 58 years old this next couple weeks, that I felt God's love begin to draw me to himself, and then a couple months later, I accepted Jesus. And so, ever since that time, um, Christmas has been really special to me. And, you know, this year, I had, had kind of the humbug attitude uh, about Christmas, and Andrea and Doris were planning all the things we have to do, and uh, decorating here, and doing all kinds of extra things. I'm feeling like, oh my, I can't handle December, it's going to be too busy. But I tell you, uh, just Friday morning, it's just like, it happened to me again, the Holy Spirit, just God's love just dropped on me again, and I just love it, you know, I go, I go, I go, I go. And then all of a sudden, God just reconfirms his love on my heart. I was just crying. I was experiencing his love. And it's the season. You know, in Revelation, it says, The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And every time we talk about Jesus, and especially in the season of Christmas, is an opportune time for all of us to really sense the presence of God in a greater way. It's manifested everywhere because the name of Jesus and Christ is mentioned about Christmas. And so I hopefully uh, you'll get excited about Christmas. And if you felt a little bit like a little bit of a Scrooge or a humbug, it's going to pass off because God wants to encourage you. The title of my message today is The Upper Room. And I, I felt like um, in uh, October when Frank DiMaggio spoke uh, on the first night that uh, he talked about the upper room. And I felt like it was a prophetic thing that this message today is like, I've been just waiting for when I felt like the right time to deliver. And I felt like this is the right time to deliver this message. The upper room, a room above all rooms. Uh, I hope that just resonates in your spirit today and you get a new excitement about prayer and uh, seeking the Lord and uh, maybe a, a greater understanding of the upper room and what it represents. Elijah is one of the first references, Elijah in the upper room. We know that Elijah was sent, and there was a time of famine, and Elijah was fed by a, whim, a woman and, uh, who had a son. She was a widow, and she had a little bit of meal left, and she had a little bit of oil, and she was about ready to prepare a little uh, fire to bake some bread, and then for afar she knew her and her, her, and her son would just die of starvation. But it was Elijah who asked her in faith to give her some of that or make, her a, make him a cake first, make him something first. And it took a lot of faith for that lady uh, to not think that she was going to have enough for her son and her, uh, but to make him something first. But she did, and we know she did. And all of a sudden, there was a miracle began to happen through Elijah. Something began to happen through this man of God where that oil didn't diminish and that meal jar did not go empty in the whole time of this famine. So in 1 Kings 17, 19, uh, something happens. Over a period of time, the son dies. And this lady, lady is really upset because she saw the miracle of the food being supplied. And she knew that Elijah was a man of God. And so she's very upset. And so she's bringing her son to him. And Elijah said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and he carried him to the upper room where, there, where he was staying. And he laid him on his own bed. The upper room represents a place where you are to carry your biggest concerns. The upper room represents a place that you're going to connect with God in desperation, in seriousness, and in faith. 
It's a place that you know that God's going to hear your prayers, that God's going to answer your prayers. In approaching a place called the upper room, there's a faith that arises in your spirit. There's a faith that arises in you that I'm going to get a hold of God, that I'm going to get a word, I'm going to get an answer, I'm going to be able to leave my problem, I'm going to be able to leave my concern, and God's going to do something for me. A room above all rooms. Get that. It is a place of your prayer. Maybe right now it's your car. Maybe there's going to be an adjustment in the way you pray. I found myself out of bed today before five and here, beginning to walk up and down this aisle, praying and interceding for you, praying and interceding for what God wants to do, asking for revival in the land, revival across the earth, asking that God would so move on believers who have gotten a little bit lukewarm, that a fresh fire would come upon them, a fresh excitement would come. And in this house, in Hillside, This becomes a room above all rooms, a place where you can pray and believe God, a place where you can come at the end of our service and connect with God because it's a room above all rooms. It's a room set aside for you to connect with God, to experience the Holy Spirit, and to grow in your faith and to grow in your relationship with God. The upper room, a place of prayer. In 1 Kings 17, 20-22, Then Elijah cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? I tell you, the upper room, a room above all rooms, is a place where something begins to change in your intercession. I don't know how you are, but I'm pretty, even though I'm a pastor, I'm pretty natural. I get down, I get discouraged, I have feelings that affect my faith, I get attitudes, uh, the atmospheres, the news I hear. It can oppress my spirit. It can oppress that part of me that can pray. And I tell you, sometimes prayer is a labor. Sometimes prayer, you feel like my prayers are not even getting past my mouth. But I tell you, when you begin to seek God, you begin to pray <clears throat> that something begins to change. And not after, <clears throat> excuse me, not after a long time, you begin to sense something happen deep in your spirit, where you're not just saying words, <clears throat> but your heart's starting getting starting to get involved. And you feel like you're starting to connect out of your spirit with the Lord. And you begin to get excited about your prayers. You begin to feel something moving inside of you that you know you're connecting with God. A faith begins to arise in your heart. And you find yourself even being moved on by the Holy Spirit to pray the prayers that exactly you need to pray. You find you start hitting those targets. You start feeling about things that are going on in your life that you need to pray about. And they come out. They're not just words that seem to fall out and fall down dead or words without life, but they seem to have you know that you're praying something that the Holy Spirit is hearing and He's beginning to act upon. In verse 21, Elijah said, and he stretched, it says about Elijah, and he stretched himself out on the child three times. And he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back into him. That's the prayers I'm talking about. That's the prayers that happened in that room above all rooms. In that room that you set aside. And I believe there's coming a time in your life that, like in my life, I feel like this this time is coming upon me where I'm setting aside extra time. I'm going into a specific place. There's a place in my house where my wife set up for a little office for her, and I've been going in there, especially at night, and shutting the door, and going there again and praying. I I pray all the time. Man, what I learned when I was a janitor, I mean, that was a perfect time to be praying. Five and a half hours a day, vacuuming rugs, and in this corporate office, I would be praying, and sometimes I'd have to turn around and go back. Did I vacuum that office? Go back and check, making sure I vacuumed. 
You can get caught up in prayer. You can designate a place of prayer where you're connecting with God. And I believe it's a time that you're going to set aside a greater amount of time, but you're going to have greater connections with God. It says that we're to know God. We're to know Him intimately. And prayer is our connection with God. Our praying about our needs, our desires, our wants, our frustration connects us with God who cares and knows who we are. And as we begin to exchange our words with God, we are knowing Him. And as He be re- reveals to you through prayer, through your interaction and through the Word of God, you begin to understand what God is saying to you, and that's that development of that relationship of knowing God. It's one thing to have the head knowledge and knowing that Jesus died for you, but it's another thing when you begin to press in, when you begin to set aside a place that you're going to pray. You begin to set aside time. Maybe even now you're scoping up a little bit more time to pray and seek God. And then what, what gets you excited? When you, when you know you're connecting with God. And you know you're hearing God. When you feel like burdens begin to be transferred onto Him. And you begin to feel lighter. You begin to feel the presence of God. The, the presence of peace fall upon you. You know that, yeah, the situation, I still see it. Or I'm still aware of it. But something begins to happen where you know God is acting on that prayer. <clears throat> so Elijah cries out in verse 22. It says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. It says about Elijah and James that he's just like us. He's a person of feelings and passions just like us. But he opened his mouth and prayed, and God heard his prayer, and God answered his prayer. And powerful things happened through Elijah's ministry because of God's anointing on him. That same anointing that's available to us through Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a greater anointing because it lives inside of us. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes. And when you're open to receive more of the Holy Spirit, more of His power comes into your life. More ability to pray prayers that are powerful. Prayers that break strongholds and break mindsets and and break things the way they've been. I believe this is a time that God is going to be changing us. Prayer prayer generates the atmosphere for the invisible realm. In 1 Kings 17.23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house, and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. That song we've been singing, we shall see what we've been praying for. I believe it's a time we're to see what we've been praying for. We're to see what we've been believing for. Daniel in the upper room. In Daniel 6.10, the famous story about Daniel going into the lion's den. People were jealous of Daniel. The other uh, ungodly uh, sand traps and wizards and people that were around, the wise men that were around in Babylon didn't like Daniel. They didn't like how God was always moving on him, always giving him favor. And so they conspired King Darius to make this proclamation that no one was to bow down or pray a prayer to anyone but the statue they had created of, King, of, of Darius. <clears throat> and so they're all like, uh, they had this thing all going on. And when the king realizes what's going on, he's very upset. Because Daniel is a man of prayer. Daniel is a man who knows and has set up an upper room. And he goes there three times a day. <clears throat> and he seeks God. And he, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> it's just the frogs. <clears throat> so in Daniel 6.10, Daniel in the line said, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, when he knew that decree that he couldn't bow down to anyone but that statue, He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God. 
and what is his custom since his early days, since his youth. Again, we did child dedication today, and you guys have established something. And I pray your kids would establish a prayer life, and they'd be like a Daniel, where they're setting up a a relationship with God. And it's not too late for any of us to reestablish our prayer life, to reorganize and re-strategize so we're giving God first place. I tell you, whatever we, time we give God, it's going to be multiplied back to us. And we are going to see in our time, we're going to begin to see <clears throat> things change. We're going to be able to begin to see the mountains move. We're going to begin to see the miraculous happen because we're dedicating ourselves to put God first and to eliminate distractions and choose specific times when we're having an upper room experience. <clears throat> His custom. Take an action. Maybe you, want, want to, may, want, maybe you might want to do this. That you are going to maybe try it for a week. I'm going to try to separate myself three times each day to pray. It doesn't have to be an hour. Maybe you take five minutes and you're just going to get away. Maybe in your office you can get away somewhere. Or go out in your car and sit for a few minutes. Or maybe you can even go to the restroom when you know nobody's there and just go into a stall and you're seeking God, you're praying. Hey, I've had God meet me in the bathroom, in the shower, you know, in the car, anywhere. Any place we set up as a place to meet with God, any time we set aside to have an upper room experience, we are going to be met with God. God is, sees our heart, he sees our determination, and he decides he's going to meet with us. <clears throat> in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 we're told to pray without ceasing by Paul. But the upper room is a specific place in a specific time. The upper room is something that, that you are moved to do, and, and it's like it's something that, like an urge that comes over you, and you fulfill it. Jesus speaks of a place to pray. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, But you, when you pray, go into your room. Go into your upper room. Go into your room, he said, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Go in. The upper room, a place to wait. Jesus sends his disciples toward the upper room. In Acts 1, 4, the Holy Spirit was promised. Jesus was going away. Jesus the man. Jesus the physical, touchable, hands-on man who was limited, he could not be with everybody at the same time, came to die for our sins that he might make the way between us and God to open the door, to make heavens open. And so after he had fulfilled that, that he told the disciples to go wait. He told them to wait because the Holy Spirit was going to come and it is the God element that comes to live within inside of us. And it is that God element. They were to do one thing until they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we get going, we read the word, and we take action. We try to do the word in our own strength. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit as you wait on him, as you allow him to fill you, that then he tells you and he leads you what to do, that you take on these uh, things that he's leading to and you step into things. And then you see the power of God manifested in your life in the actions the Holy Spirit's leading you to. And so he's setting setting them up to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it says in Acts 1-4, they were assembled together with them and he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
And in Acts 1.12, the upper room prayer meeting. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. Again, think of it. There was 500 people that saw Jesus ascend. But there was only 120 that waited that period of time in the upper room till the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened to them. Our key verse for today is Acts 1, 13 and 14. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They went up to the upper room in unity, in prayer, in supplication, asking for the Holy Spirit Jesus had told them would come. And they waited, and they prayed, and they asked. Sometimes we have this mentality because of our society where you can go instantly. Althea was telling me that at McDonald's, they have a mandate. When that person pulls up to the drive-up window and puts their order in, they have three minutes to get that bag ready, and when they come to that final window to pick up their, their food. I tell you, we're in this hastened society, and if we have to wait very long, we get irritated, we get agitated. But the biggest thing we could do is to wait on God in prayer, to keep asking and seeking and knocking, to keep looking to the Lord, because He is the one that is all-powerful. He's still on the throne. He still backs His word. He still holds to His promises. And the more time we spend seeking God out, asking for His wisdom, asking Him to do the things that He's promised to us, we are backing up our prayer. We are breaking spiritual strongholds that we cannot see that hang over our prayer requests and hang over the promises. And God is moving on us. The people that you love and care about, you know, they have a free will. And God honors. That's one thing God honors is their free will. But our prayers for them, our prayers for our loved ones, our prayer that people around us would accept Christ are part of the atmosphere that we break around them that's demonic. We break the atmospheres of resistance and we, our prayers can bring people to the Lord because we're providing help with that spiritual atmosphere that is broken through our prayers. Our prayers are powerful if we use them. Jesus meets his followers in the upper room. In Mark 14, 15, then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. It is interesting, before Jesus went to the cross, that he went to the upper room. And he had this secluded connection and last meal with his 12 disciples that he might impart that love and express the care and transition them into that place of reminding them that they were to serve. And we know they did. That upper room experience was powerful in transitioning them for his ongoing to the cross. The local church is the, is this, in this case is Hillside, is the place where we gather the room above all rooms, the place where we can experience God and believe that he's going to change us. It is a meeting place with God where strategic things are both established and initiated. It's 25 after. I want us to have an incredible time of just praying together today. I don't know about you, but I know me, that my heart gets hard, that things that I don't see changed, Attitudes that begin to develop make my heart hard. 
And sometimes I feel myself praying and talking and asking the right things or saying the right things or even quoting verses, but there's something in my spirit. My heart has become hardened. And what prayer does is begins to soften our hearts. It begins to, to massage that place that has gotten calloused. And I believe that prayer is the thing that begins to break the routine. It breaks the problems. It reconfirms our faith when we're going through faith tests. Sometimes God has us in seasons as Christians where he's just testing our faith. Are we going to believe him? Are we going to keep praying even though it doesn't feel good? Even though my soul can't get into it, are we still going to pray? Are we going to still going to seek God? Are we going to still do the right thing? Or is it only when uh, I, I feel God's presence or it feels good or he's answering my prayer? Those are the times when our faith takes a leap and takes a step. That's when our faith gets its strongest is when we're doing it without any um, backup, without any feelings, anything we can see, any super uh, emotions. That's faith, and that's what moves, moves us and moves God. Our soul is, involves our personality, our mind and its thoughts, our will, the varied emotions that we have. Sometimes we just get locked up. We get into routine. We become apathetic. We become just disillusioned and disheartened. But it is our prayer that starts breaking those atmospheres. It starts breaking up the hardness of our heart, our soul's opinions. And, you know, times we go on where maybe we have bitterness or anger or unforgiveness. It is our prayer that begins to massage our heart and we begin to confess, God, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sin. God, forgive me of unforgiveness. Sometimes we need to ask for repentance. There's things that we know we're doing that we're not doing even uh, maybe not praying. God, forgive me for not praying. Forgive me for not putting you first. God, I ask you to come and soften my heart. It is God who does it all. But because we have a free will, when we open our mouth and pray, we're giving God permission to work in our life. He doesn't just do it on his own. He respects our choices. He respects what we say to him and how we open up ourselves for him to move. Um, Hosea, and there's digging. How many have dug in the garden before the rain? I mean, the ground is so hard. It is so hard. That's the way a heart gets. In Hosea 10, 12, it says, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and he rains righteousness on you. I don't know about you, but I've gone a long season, and I feel like in this season, I've just kept doing all that I know is right, but I've been breaking out of it. I'm asking for further transformation. <clears throat> I'm asking for God to do more in my person and my personality. I'm asking God to do more in me to change attitudes, to change my experience. I am seeking the Lord in that place that I can experience a fresh move of God. And I believe it's starting to happen. And it's going to happen for you guys too. He wants you to have more experiences with Him. He wants to align you with, with um, your prayer that it's meaningful and it's powerful. He wants you to see Him move. And He's going to move through your prayers, through your seeking Him. Uh, I talked about apathy and stirring ourselves. In Isaiah 64, 7, it says, And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. I think those are our days and those, just days that we're living in. As Isaiah saw it in his time, he saw the apathy in the land. He saw no one stirring themselves spiritually to rally and to do the things of God and to get close with God. And we're in those days again. All the concerns are all distractions away from God. Everyone's trying to, do, to offer us something or sell us something. But God is asking us to stir ourselves in 2 Peter 1.13, yes, 
I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up and to remind you. Again, Peter was saying, we've got to stir ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves what the Word of God says. We have to remind ourselves how powerful the Lord is and how involved He is in our life. But again, we have to stir ourselves into that place of action and feeling. Stir our emotions so there's a fresh passion for the Lord. In 2 Peter 3, 1, God's promise is not slack. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of of a reminder. Again, Peter also talking about stirring ourselves. In 2 Peter 1, 6, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through laying on of hands. I don't know about you. Do you know things settle? Anybody ever had to reopen a can of paint and it's settled? you got to stir that. I tell you, we settle. We settle for things. We settle in our problems. We settle in our attitudes. We settle in bitterness. We settle in unforgiveness. We settle stepping back, uh, expecting God to move, but not using the tools he's given us to engage him into action, which is prayer and the word, our worship. We stir ourselves. Last week we talked about bringing into God's presence thanksgiving and praise and our singing that we bring something with us when we approach God. It's that same way when we come to prayer, we bring thanksgiving. We start singing some songs. And what it does is loosens our our soul up when we hear ourselves singing and talking to God. And it starts shaking things up. It starts making uh, something different inside of us. And we come away from prayer thinking like, wow, why was I dragging my feet? Why was I not praying?